Hello and welcome to Methods Podcast. My name is Sarah Hanna and today I am joined by six people from Methods to celebrate the year that we've had. This podcast will be looking back at what we've been doing from charity haircuts to how much we've moved further in caring for our planet. But first, let's find out about how cyber work has been vital this year. My name is William Keogh. I'm a security analyst within the cyber team at Methods. I've been at Methods coming up to four years or so. What is it about the cyber role that interested you? It's a continually emerging sort of space. It, It was exciting to be involved with something new in that sense. And I just left the military as well, probably two years before that. And so I was still coming in an hour in kind of what sort of direction I wanted myself to go in. And when my manager set up the cyber practice, he presented a lot of opportunities really for me. And in some which I felt I could transfer those military skills into this sort of security role. For someone like me that doesn't know too much, what actually is cybersecurity in government services and what would that look like? Cyber is an umbrella term, if you like. It's made up of a lot, a lot of different disciplines. I think a lot of people will imagine cybersecurity being someone on a computer, hood up, typing away, trying to get into a, an environment. So you've got that kind of ethical hacking side of things. So the, the ethical hacking is essentially someone who mimics what a hacker, a criminal would do to therefore build up defences and understand the, the different processes and that someone will go through. But it's also made up of Information security, so how do organisations handle data, how do they handle personal information, how do they handle supply data and what do they do with it. It's also made up of security technical architects who look at the infrastructure around how an IT environment should be set up. That's looking around who can come in and out of the environment and what's best to secure secure that for an organisation. Cyber is very much a multidisciplined area. You said that you've been at Methods for around four years now. I know you're not in a cyber role that whole time. But why do you think that in 2022 that there was the importance of cyber in government services? Cyber is continually developing and changing, and especially with the war in Ukraine, that's pushed forward the need really for tighter security around everything. There's been a lot of talk in recent years around what cyber war would look like. And I think we're just starting to see that with the war in Ukraine. So a lot of organisations, especially government organisations, are now really tightening up their security and taking cybersecurity as a really key part of their function. And with the project I'm on, we we work with an arm's length organisation to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. And they very much promote the understanding between the UK and other countries worldwide within the arts, culture and education and English language. And this global footprint they have, our specific job with this customer is to run their security operation. We will look at their security alerts coming through and essentially triage the most severe alerts that need investigating. And we will do the investigation. We will provide the report, provide the feedback and send it to the client and tell them you've got this threat coming today. This is what you can do to mitigate against that. We also provide the customer with information regarding developing threats and exploitable vulnerabilities, which they may not be aware about. And with some of these exploitable vulnerabilities, particularly, you need to act quickly so that any potential criminal doesn't see an opportunity to get hands on the organization's intellectual property. What are 
the kind of cyber threats that could be vulnerable to a government service. You don't know what you're waking up to sometimes. And on a day-to-day basis, not every alert is the same. Not every security incident is the same. So it's being able to take on board straight away what you're faced with. The main threats that we see on it are through phishing emails. So it's something that a lot of people are aware of. You don't click the link or anything like that or try and find the phishing email. But with a global organisation, it's almost impossible to, to stop people doing that. On one particular occasion, we had one phishing email that came through and the link it was it looked like a very legitimate email and the link was a very credible link as well to a credible source but what this link had was malicious code injected into it so you click on the link it'll take you to the credible website but in the background all this malicious activity would be going on and it's a very sophisticated threat that was going on luckily we were able to pick up on it so this particular threat was from a threat group I won't say who was behind it for obvious reasons, but it's those sort of threats that we get, which are the very serious ones. And then the the kind of the lower severity ones that we get on a day-to-day basis. It could just be someone who might be using a VPN, for instance, and they're working from a different location. We need to understand why they're working from a different location. Have they lost their laptop or their phone? Is it in the wrong hands? Or there's that kind of vision that's needed around, okay, you've worked from from one location for the past two years while all of a sudden are you going somewhere different without us knowing yeah and it so you got the spectrum of the most severe threat groups you got the least severe but we also get people who they should access the wrong things on on their laptops which which they shouldn't be doing and most of the time it's media as well some of these media companies they have these adverts which are actually spam adverts and they contain a lot of malware as well but we're looking in the sense that the security tools we use are really really good and they can pick up on on any malicious activity almost straight away. In terms of people doing things that they shouldn't do, is there some sort of level of education that comes along with your project, whether that be to the client or just to the general public? We can certainly tell our stakeholders what users should and shouldn't be doing, but ultimately it's up to them to provide that further training to the wider users about what they shouldn't, what they can't do on their devices. We can certainly help with developing communications, but I think that's always the good thing that methods do is that we like to get involved, but we don't like to get too involved, if that makes sense. We still like to let the customer stand up on their own feet and and run the show and we'll just be working in the background making sure everything's as it should be. Considering the year that we've been in, as you said, the Ukraine war, the cost of living crisis, do you feel like you've been able to positively contribute to those issues? Definitely in the sense of the impact the Ukraine war has had. With this particular customer, we did see a lot more threats come through from the Eastern European side of the organisation and we were then able to advise and help what they can do to reduce the risk. That was a really, really feel-good factor there about that one. It's got to the point now where we've, in the first couple of months of the war, we saw a bit of activity. We recommended a set of options for the customer. And now we've actually seen that activity pretty much fade away now, which has been a great success. Uh, And so it's been really nice to be part of that, to say, yeah, I was there when when this happened and I was able to help the client in this situation. Not just me, obviously, it was a team effort. (laughs) I think what makes this particular project great as well is the guys I'm working with we all get on really well there's only four of us it's a close-knit team but we have such a big footprint with the customer and being able to see how the decisions that we formulate and make together and how that has a positive impact on our client is something that's really great I think some of us have been there for almost a year and a half now 
And then we've just had a, a new guy come in three months ago. And it's been great to see his progression as well from a bit like me, not from having previously been in a cyber role, but now I've actually seen him and develop and come up to to where we need him to be. And that's been really satisfying to see and, be, and to be part of as well for his development. It's, it's just been great to have that positive impact and, and work with a great team. Finally, Will, what would you say your biggest takeaway has been from this year at Methods? Good question. I think Alton has definitely been the biggest impact this year. They haven't exactly changed anything yet, but I'm really looking forward to what they can offer going forward. And they've said some really positive things as well. There's some real encouragement for the interest they have within Methods and all the different services that we offer. So I think that's been a real positive impact this year and going forward. And I think also the turmoil that's been going around the UK, around the world, I think Methods have been really good at looking after their employees just with everything from the cost of living to providing information about Alton about how we can cope even I know this wasn't 2022 but even coming out of Covid Methods did a great job looking after their colleagues as well and I think I've seen more of that this year than have done in the past which has been really nice. That was William on the impact of cyber in 2022. Moving on I'm meeting with Suzanne Maxted a member of Methods who has been pushing to make talent design at the core of digital transformation. So my official roles are, I have two. One is business architect, which I've been forever and ever, many decades, 100 years, and also now sustainability lead on the client delivery side. In terms of your sustainability leads role, could you give me a brief history of the sustainability work that you've done during your time at Methods? It goes back before my time at methods when so I raised my children in New Zealand and I worked out there doing the same thing business architecture government departments and I started thinking about sustainability in our digital world in 2015 which is when the UN published the sustainable development goals there were 17 of them and I thought I wonder if this project that I'm doing for police can we map that onto those goals And I wrote an article about that, which was subsequently published by digital leaders in the UK. And so I found that in any service that we do for government, we there's always some way we can think about any harm that's being done, but also about what sustainable actions we can take. So I started writing articles just off my own bat in New Zealand and then once again in England, once I'd started at Methods. And and they would get nice responses and things, all well and good, but n- not much action or traction that I could tell. And we were getting all sorts of permissions coming out, you know, the UNIPCC report, the Das Gupta report, which is the Biodiversity, Sir David Attenborough, you know, or permissions, what I call permissions coming out for us to do more in this. Anyway, I was thinking about what more can I do in early 2021 and methods decided that they were going to set up communities of practice and communities of interest so it was the perfect opportunity to set up a group to really um, develop the ideas to as an incubator how can we help our clients embed environmental responsibility into their transformation programs and the services that we build for them that was my primary thought and that is still the vision now we have a team of people that look after methods behaviors internally you know so looking at emissions and waste and water and so on that's the green team but i was focused on what we can do for clients in our normal 
delivery roles. So me as a business architect, user researchers, service designer, what can we add? What the, the green layer to that, the environmental responsibility layer to all of our skill sets? So I set up the environmental responsibility community of interest. A bit of a mouthful, but that really does express what I want it to mean. And that was approved by the board. And that's been a really vibrant group that gives me lots of hope and inspiration. What other things have you been doing regarding sustainability in 2022? A few weeks ago, I was invited to be on a Q&A panel to speak at the Barbican at the launch of a new campaign by the British Computer Society called Net Zero, a Digital Journey. Locally, I do a little bit of volunteer work at Oxford City Farm, which is at the end of my road, and they sustainably grow vegetables and keep some livestock like sheep and chickens. And then what they do is they have outreach and they teach young people how to cook, disadvantaged people how to cook, vulnerable people how to cook using the vegetables on site and so on. You said as well that you see lots of hope from the community of practice. Is there anything that's happened specifically that you think there's a reason to be excited by this? It makes me laugh because people come along to the group and they say, I don't know anything. I'm just going to sit here and listen. And then, then, you know, just a couple of weeks later, a few weeks later, they'll be flying with some idea, developing a new idea. And I mean, there's so many clever people in my group and it just gives me so much hope because they just really get it. And the more that we as a group go out and present our thought leadership, the more other people go, oh, yeah, I could apply that in my role in methods analytics, ran an environmental awareness month. And every day they ran an event or they posted an article or provided resources. And that was extremely well attended. That's a kind of satellite. They've gone off and done that. You know, I'm not their manager. My group is a kind of incubator for ideas. And we talk about ideas or talk about an event we might have been to like designed for planet and then take ideas from there and develop them. I got a good response from the internal team. What are clients' reactions when you come in with sustainability initiatives? Yes, good question. We are starting to get some traction. So I'll give you a couple of examples. The sustainable development goals in our work has been developed and used in two of our clients and that was very well received. In some of my work, the more technical work I've been doing, I've been able to include the government mandates. I've written two data strategies. I've managed to include those mandates as part of the strategy. One is implement the sustainable development goals. And the other one is make your technology sustainable. You can look both these up on gov.uk and you get guidance on those mandates. And so the make your technology sustainable, I was able to put in as principles in both those data strategies. One of the things I spoke about at the at the launch on the Q&A panel for Net Zero Digital Journey was that we've focused on human-centred design in the last 10 years, which is wonderful, but we really must focus on shift to planet-centred design now. And so how do we do that if you're a user researcher? My colleague, Lisa, she has developed a planet persona. Now, I know that user research is based on primary research, but we can use the peer-reviewed academic literature for that, in my opinion. You know, that is the primary research for the planet. So let's have a planet persona. And Lisa's developed that. There could be more, you know, maybe we have more nuanced versions of that. But that's another thing that we can develop in the group and use on client site.
in light of what's happened in 2022, so COP27 have happened, do you think that this year was specifically important to move the sustainability initiative with government clients? I think this year has been important because these issues are now top of everybody's mind. It's in the media much more now. People don't feel that it's taboo to talk about these things anymore. I mean, I started off writing those articles and I thought every time I wrote a new one, I'm like, that's it. This is the one where I'm going to get the sack. I am going to get the sack with this article because it was really quite taboo. Of course, I wouldn't have been sacked by my lovely bosses who have been nothing but supportive and encouraging. But it was still a bit risque to talk about five years ago, three years ago, you know. So that's why this is important. It's because all of a sudden I can feel it is people are not afraid to talk about it. They're not afraid to talk about it with their clients. They're not afraid to try new things for this idea of planet-centred design. That's really great to think about how things have progressed in, in five years. That's huge and positive in itself. What has been your biggest learning from this? So many. I haven't had to push anybody or nudge anybody. You know, people come to the group and... Yeah, I'll just sit and listen. And then just somehow magic happens and they go off and do something amazing. You know, so you're just kind of having this little dance and having a conversation with people and we inspire each other. Whereas before I felt like a lone wolf crying into the night. And now the value of coming together as a team and talking is more valuable than ever. That's not very tangible, but I guess that's my biggest learning is just... Keep talking and keep bringing people together on these issues. We've just got so much to do. We want to go faster and, you know, it's difficult for people to find the time, you know. What are your predictions regarding sustainability for 2023? So much more to do. There's a couple of service lines that we want to develop, which are really underway. And I've got some help with that. As I say, it's really difficult for people to find the time. So that's good. That's going to go ahead. And I can't really talk about those yet. But the the other thing that I'd really like to define is for all of our roles, all of our standard roles, program manager, project manager, delivery manager, service designer, user researcher, is to officially add that layer of what it means to be environmentally responsible or to ensure that our service delivery to clients has got those principles underpinning everything we do. So what does that look like? I mean, we have an idea of a team, but I want to make that official. So in our official role descriptions, you know, there's a line in there or some reference to the techniques that we can use and the responsibilities we have with our clients. That's what I'd like to happen in 2023. So make it official so that we can tell our clients this is what we do. You already know what we do, but we're doing an extra layer of it now. It's all about the communities at work, all about the communities at home. I think personally, every job everywhere should be looking at environmental responsibility, that all jobs and industries can change, including ours, digital. Keep talking about these issues with your colleagues and your mates and come along to my group or contact me. Thank you, Suzanne. Thank you very much for inviting me. Previously on our podcast, we met with Helen Milner, the CEO of Good Things Foundation. Today, I'll be talking to the people who were involved in getting our charity of the year, along with all the other amazing work that they've done. 
Hello, my name is Zoe Lewis. I'm one of the executive directors here at Methods. I'm also in charge of social value for Methods, which is frightfully exciting. And I've been with Methods for 13 years now. I can't quite much Zoe's longevity, but I've been here um, sort of over a year. I'm in the bid team under sales. Zoe, could you tell me about the history of charity work at Methods? Well, we decided as an exec committee back in 2019 that social value was something that was really important to Methods. We wanted to give our people the opportunity to get involved in different challenges charity activities. So back in 2019, we set up our Social Value Committee, or the CSR as it was then, the Social Value as it is now, and just got a selection of our amazing people from across the different businesses and different areas to get involved and sit on the committee. And the reason for that is because we wanted to vote for a charity partner every year. We then open up the voting to all our amazing people. The charity partner is decided by our people and we have that charity partner stays with us for 12 months. During the course of that period, we, we give them £5,000 every quarter to spend. So our, our first charity partner that we voted for, for our, for our people back in 2019 was Fair Share. Then we had Women's Aid for the second year, help women and children in domestic abuse situations. And then this year we've had the Good Things Foundation, who are all about digital inclusion, making sure that everybody's got access to the digital skills which obviously saves them money when shopping makes sure that they can secure online banking and everything else can you tell me more about how the people at methods are able to get involved we offer all our staff two paid volunteering days every year they can go and any charity they want to get involved with go and volunteer with them use their brilliant skills that our people have got to actually add value to different charities and then thirdly we also offer match funding up to 250 pounds so if someone wanted to do a brilliant charity walk a charity swim one of our graduates shaved their hair for a charity last year then we will match fund whatever funds they raise up to the value of 250 pounds we've got some amazing people right across the business we've got some great talents we can absolutely give back so much to charities and at the moment there's so much that the charity charities need from us. So we're really promoting our two paid volunteering days right across the piece at the moment. Fair Share was voted in as the first charity partner. Could you tell me about the value you've seen with them being our charity partner? during the pandemic and the great work that Marcus Rushford did with them to help promote ensuring that no child went to school hungry. So it was really brilliant. We had an amazing kickoff meeting with them. Our SMT went down to their massive warehouse in sort of East London and we spent the day there packaging food up because fair share work with underprivileged people, whether that be elderly or young people, different groups and schools and everything else to ensure that everybody has got access to food. And obviously at the moment that's been highlighted even more in our cost of living crisis. Just to, to add there, yeah, with fair share, so he's talking about the SMT there having sorted through, so it was three tonnes of food that was sorted through, providing 7,143 meals for vulnerable people and saving 11 tonnes of CO2. Joel, do you mind telling me an overview of the events which have happened this year? Sure. So I know we did a sponsored walk at the end of September to raise funds for Good Things Foundation. There's been a number of staff, I believe 10 Method staff have delivered on-site schools, career events in partnership with Good Things Foundation in 2022. Uh, there was the charity jailbreak. There's been digital divide challenges every month that have been facilitated through Good Things Foundation. We've also got one coming up next Tuesday where a group of about 12 of us going from the organisation out to Camden to a green space where we're going to spend the day in our Wellington boots and Max hopefully not too cold or wet, clearing areas up, so getting rid of all the rubbish to make the environment a better place for the people in that community. 
What outcome have you seen from the events happening this year? I'll touch Women's Aid, which Zoe has, has already talked about. The support that we gave to their live chat helpline, a vital tool for women in domestic abuse situations. And there was the Methods Wide Challenge of one of the 1.6 challenge. This represents the 1.6 million people who've suffered domestic abuse in the UK. So there were 16 days of action between the 25th of November and 10th of December last year, where we pledged to raise 1,600 as a, as a business and fulfilled that. I think what was really important, the feedback we got from Women's Aid, is because of the money and the funds and support we were able to give them, they were actually able to open their action lines for, for longer periods of time, which gave women in domestic abuse situations access to professionals who can give them help and support and advice. And some of the stories and feedback we got from that were really emotional and really moving. Why has working with charities been specifically important in 2022? Important to methods, but also important generally from a bid perspective in terms of methods winning new business. Social value is becoming increasingly important in, in central government, local, local government, starting with the Social Value Act and yeah, local authorities leading the way with um, with themes, outcomes and measures around social value. But it's really taken off from January 2021. This is when central government issued a procurement policy note saying that social value has to be taken into account when awarding contracts and social value questions in tenders have to be weighted at least a tenth of the overall mark for a bid. So this this policy procurement note that was issued, as I say, in January 2021, laid out five key policy themes, which were COVID-19 recovery, tackling economic inequality, fighting climate change, equal opportunity and well-being. So as I say, since that, that the policy note, social value has really taken off in bids and we're even seeing questions around social value weighted as much as 30% of the overall bid. So a real kind of push from government as well. And when we're kind of leading the way really in, in terms of, you know, pioneering that social value and scoring very highly on social value responses in, in bids, um, and we're having a lot of, of feedback from government, um, particularly Crown Commercial Service recently um, and, and other government departments that are very keen to tap into our approach around social value. I think just to add to that, what's been really encouraging this year is our increase in headcount. We think we brought on into methods an additional 100 people. If we just take a step back and look at that, that's 100 times two volunteering days just in the additional headcount we brought on this year. That's 200 volunteering days. What a difference those days can make to individuals, to groups of people. I think we're just we're really lucky to have that as one of our initiatives. I'm just so blessed to have some amazing people in the organisation who really do care and they want to genuinely help other people. Been to kind of social value events held by Tech UK recently in London many of our competing organisations, none of them have those kind of two volunteer days in place where any member of staff can take you know, two volunteer days working with a charity of their choice in every calendar year. I haven't seen that in other organisations. We're definitely leading the way. As you mentioned, Joel, you said that we're pioneering the way with companies and putting social value as an importance. If you could give advice to other companies, what would you say to them from what you've learned this year? So I think it really starts with the kind of internal drive from the organisation to actually make a difference and a kind of genuine willingness to actually adopt measures and take initiative in order to change things and change attitudes. And 
And again, going back to how kind of Methods is a pioneer, I think it starts with kind of supporting building underrepresented groups within the organisation. So, for example, we have like 40% staff are, are women and that is, and then we've got the target of 50%. Um, by 2025. So just to pick up on that specific kind of group of people, that's unparalleled in the tech world. You know, we, we don't see our competitors kind of having that number of women. So whilst we still have work to do to ensure complete parity between the sexes and methods, you know, we're leading the way with regard to that. And also with ethnic minority representation, we've got 35% of our staff are, are from ethnic minority communities. And we're looking to boost that as well. We've got a target for that as well to increase that for 2025. So just with regard to our kind of internal makeup and the methods, I would say that's the kind of starting point that we're kind of leading leading the way. We've got a diversity and inclusion community of interest. We have a green team internally, an environmental community of interest, a number of community of practices. I think it starts from within. So you've mentioned on the day of our recording that we are voting for next year's charity partner. Not particularly about the winner, but regarding 2023, what are your predictions for what we can do as a company? We can do so much more. There's always more to do and the need really is there with the cost of living crisis at the moment. What was super interesting was the selection of charities that were brought to the Social Value Committee this year. And a lot were around sort of the food banks trying to ensure that single parents have got access to food and everything that they need and another was around trying to help people from deprived areas and backgrounds in ensuring that they have the best possible start in life and they've got access to mentors and coaching and everything else that they need. I think at the moment it feels overwhelming in terms of the support that charities generally need. I think it's been quite difficult actually for our people to whittle it down to one because all three charities that we have shortlisted are absolutely fantastic and all really need our not just financial help but the help from our people in terms of the skills and, and raising the profile of the charity as well. That's something we worked really hard with the Good Things Foundation to do, to, especially on the marketing and social media side, just to try and increase their, their profile and presence wherever we could so yeah no matter which charity is chosen for next year I think it's gonna be great to get our people more engaged and to do more fundraising activities as well just to try and help wherever we possibly can because say there really is that need out there at the moment right across the board and finally last but not least I'm speaking to two people who have been working at Birmingham City Council for the past year my name is Hannah Pinnock I am a design strategist at Methods and I have been leading the methods delivery of the customer programme in Birmingham City Council over the last year. I'm Pamela Kamari. I am a delivery manager at Methods. Hannah, could you start off by explaining to me what the customer programme at Birmingham City Council is and what you're trying to achieve? The customer programme was established to deliver on the customer strategy, which was written last year. And BCC, I think, recognised that they need to improve their customer experience across the board, as do many councils. And so the idea is that this is sort of the last ever customer programme, because once we've delivered this programme over the next couple of years, the council will be set up in a way culturally and also from a skills and perspective to really always put the customer at the heart of everything they do. And I think it's easy to say that and it's easy to, to kind of have that way of thinking in your mind, but how it translates in practice 
on the ground when you've got a very large local authority. Birmingham is the largest in Europe. That means you've got many, many staff and you have many, many different services to serve a very diverse population in Birmingham. It's really important that you understand how that kind of that way of thinking translates to behaviours of frontline staff and of management and senior leaders across the whole business. So making that kind of come to life and tangible for staff, I think, is part of the ambition of the programme. And we're sort of demonstrating how we do that by living those kind of customer first, customer centric values. The way we've been trying to establish this customer centric approach in practice is by putting customers at the heart of our approach. So really taking that human centered design approach to delivery and bringing the staff and customers along that journey with us by working in the open as well. Hannah sort of touched on the range of services there. Could you talk me through the work that you've completed today and the breadth of work that's been achieved in 2022? The number of services we have, we have been pretty varied since I joined at the start of the year. So we did a big couple of discoveries, well, many discoveries, but we started off working with areas in bereavement. So I think housing, waste services and highways to really understand and unpick high service areas with large number of citizens engaging with them in terms of understanding how they operate, what our users are telling us to help then produce a gold standard of how we could improve services to help meet what customers need in terms of that gold standard for customer service at Birmingham City Council. And I did go on to work with bereavement, was quite dedicated. I think we didn't realise how varied it was in terms of how challenging it can be. It's a difficult point of sort of a pit moment in time when you lose somebody, but just from understanding the process end to end on how, who you need to contact, what you need to do. So that was a hugely interesting piece of work, I think, for the team, being able to go out on site to crematoriums and cemetery sites to talk to staff and see how it's operating. We moved from the waste at discovery finding into an alpha to have a look at our how our customers are getting in contact with us to report miscollections and how the service is responding to that. So a design on how that could better be improved so communications between the service and waste. There's a lot of work going on in that programme. Off the back of the Commonwealth Games, when there was a quite a high level of demand and pressure on the children's licensing service to approve chaperone uh, applications. So chaperones are responsible for young people as they're kind of going about sort of performance type activities. So obviously being part of the Commonwealth Games, if you were a child, you would require a chaperone to look after you. And these people are DBS checked and whatnot. The service also provides work permits. So not something we can remember because I don't think it existed then. But if you're a 15 year old now, your employer has to have a work permit to employ you and uh, likewise if you want to be on stage in a production the production is required to have a performance license for you so we did we've done quite a few discoveries up to this point so we started this in September and we decided to do a double diamond and that was because I really wanted to expose the BCC team that we're working very closely with to that approach, because I think it's a great problem solving approach and you don't need to be focused on a digital output. And so we delivered a double diamond. It was eight weeks. The service were heavily involved. We interviewed staff. We interviewed customers. We looked at the data. We looked at the legislation, the finances. We had a look at the culture. So it was a real full 360. And I think it's a piece of work we can be really proud of. And there's some findings that have come out of that are 
going to absolutely change the service for the better and really truly improve customer experience for the children of Birmingham and the people that are kind of responsible for them. One of the common things that has happened throughout the year, I think is, is common across all services, is getting that information right for our citizens in Birmingham. There's been a lot of good web content reviews, audits, and then actually moving those into iterated improved content for citizens. And I think we've had quite a significant back from citizens or customers in Birmingham saying it's a lot clearer in terms of signposting and the information they need that that's been pretty much throughout the year and there's plenty to do I think still but yeah ongoing. Hannah can you tell me about the approach and how you think that that helps you to progress to get to your goal? I think if the goal is to this customer-centric approach at core to the way the council operates. I think embedding that within the team from the get-go was really important and getting the team to think in this human-centered design approach so that they are comfortable with pushing back on a service area when we're told, oh, we our requirements are this. And actually we can say, well, have you spoken to any users and do you have a set of like user needs or user stories that we can use to guide us over the, the subsequent delivery and I think building that the team's confidence and for them to be able to see us kind of hold that line in the sand in quite a firm way and say no actually that we can't proceed like that because that's not the right way of doing things I hope has really given our Birmingham colleagues who are all fabulous a real sort of yeah confidence really to take that forward and implement that in their in their BAU and in their day jobs. We're not trying to do everything up front break it into chunks because then your services will start to see that we're delivering we can deliver but quickly chunk by chunk and I think as Hannah said working in sort of transparent way with the services we engage with and really empowering the team because I think they're so used to being told what to do but really you know we can help make recommendations and influence but you can own how you deliver that piece of work working agile is not going to give you the answer but it's just getting that mindset in there but the collaboration empowering them and working in transparency has been really good to see them go on that journey and help them with that in terms of this year 2022 what has been your biggest learning what are you most proud of the learning that i really have taken away from this year is the like, power of a passionate cohesive team I think when you bring together the methods team and the Birmingham team like we come from different worlds and we have quite a good understanding of the world that the Birmingham colleagues are coming from but being able to find a kind of a way that mutually works and making the most of everyone's skills and talent and time in order to deliver this thing that we really care about. I've seen that demonstrated every single week of this year on this programme. And I think as a team, we have a huge amount to be proud of. In terms of big points of pride, we had some feedback from a BCC director recently, which I just think like sums up the pride I feel for this team and the work that's been done on this programme. And the quote was, what a stunning piece of work, really thorough, really professional. I've worked in a number of local authorities and this is the best example of this type of work I have ever seen. All credit to the team. Almost brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> Pam, what would you say your predictions are for 2023 and the work that you think will be done? Hannah's touched on children's licensing, so that's definitely exciting as we go into the new year. So we've 
really had a good opportunity, as Hannah outlined, in terms of understanding the as-is and starting to think about sort of the future state. What does that look like? So that's really what we're getting into right now to help them think in a perfect world. How would you see the service operating? It's a huge programme of work in terms of the culture what can we digitise to make it a lot easier for all the users engaged in the process to get these applications and licences through? It's really looking at that with the service, building their roadmap and making sure we've got a solid plan for them to work against. And it's strategic. They know what they work against, should we? Yeah, because we're not going to be around forever, but it will help. Yeah. I think 2022 on the programme was intended to be about fixing the basics and the more stones you unturn, the more sort of cracks I think you find. And so we've done a lot. I mean, Pam mentioned the web content. We've done a lot to, to improve some of the basics. But, you know, this is an organisation with a, you know, on the website alone, there's like thousands and thousands of web pages. So we've just about completed Waste which has, uh, they they had a look at some data November 21 to comparing November this year, and there's been a 4% drop in complaints. Whether or not we can take any credit for that, I don't know, but we'll take the wins where we can. And, you know, th- they have thousands and thousands of complaints in this area. So that's that will be a material difference, and hopefully that continues. But, I mean, fixing the basics, I think, will need to continue ongoing. You can't fix the basics when when it's so big and there's so many elements you can't do that in 12 months so I think that will be ongoing housing we've got some exciting things planned we need to create a new tenancy handbook for people who are becoming tenants of BCC so they understand what's required of them and their rights and we also want to create a kind of a pre-tenancy handbook like an applicant's handbook so people who are applying for a home understand kind of what the process is and what's expected of them so that's the kind of work that will be undertaken in housing but I mean there's plenty to do we have to work like smartly and strategically to try and, and deliver as much value as we can in the short time we have and I don't know how long methods will be involved but It has absolutely been a pleasure to be part of the journey so far. And we're on this ride for as long as BCC want us and can have us. So, yeah, bring on 2023. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank Thank you, Sarah. And that's it. That's a quick wrap up of 2022 at Methods. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.